And this is Rich Cardona for the Leadership Locker. I've disposed of my old intro because I now live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and got to switch things up. I've been messing around trying to make this presentable uh, for all of you who are not going to watch this. And um, uh, I have a special guest on today. Uh, he is he's a leader to me on the outside, uh, which is something I long for a lot. And this is someone who's extremely articulate in the leadership space, uh, who has a former military career and who is probably going to share some of his adversities uh, that I don't even know about that helped shape some of his life. And his name is Jeff Hancher, and he uh, has the Champion Forum podcast. And he actually had me on his, and that was an incredible podcast. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we are going to talk about him now and I'm excited about it and Jeff before we get into it I'm just gonna let everyone know that this podcast is sponsored by Rich Cardona Media <laughs> all right uh, and the reason I'm telling you guys that is because value through visibility is everything I literally had an end-of-the-year call with some of my clients today and the the value we've been bringing them through, through visibility and getting them a lot of video work for their personal brands has been phenomenal so uh, this podcast the leadership Lockers, brought to you by Rich Cardona Media. So Jeff, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hope you're doing well. You look yeah. very civilianized and you look like a champion today. <laughs> See that? Represent today. That was my Christmas gift. Excellent. Well, I'm going to start uh, with the truth. And the truth is, I said, Jeff, what do you want to talk about? And you're like, let me get back to you. And you wrote me a couple options uh, because you're a very organized individual. And you wrote the topic we are going to talk about today and i'm going to start with this phrase that i love which is you need to stay ready so you don't have to get ready there you go and we are going to talk about readiness a state yeah. of readiness and tell me why this is something that is particularly important to you and uh obviously if you'd like to introduce yourself first sure sure <laughs> Well, first off, thanks for having me on. You know, I, I'm so, as I look back on this journey I've had over the last six months, it's amazing that we were introduced through a mutual friend. Yep. Um, it's one of those moments, like I remember where I had the conversation with you, didn't know really who you were, but then I started following your journey and it was a journey that I was about to be on. Yeah. And so I'm like, I got to connect with this guy because he's been there and yeah. let that be a lesson to the listener, right? Like you don't have to do it alone. And uh, there's other people that has gone before all of us and 100%. mentoring and, and all of that is, is great. And ironically, our paths and uh, history are very close. Yeah. So I, I've been attracted to that and uh, it's been awesome to watch your journey and, and learn from you, Rich. So thanks so much for having me on. Of course. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. So let's start. Let's try and do 120 seconds of, of who you are, yeah. uh, where you came from, and then let's get into some power pack stuff for some yep. of the veteran entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give the macro and then I'll go into a little bit of micro to, to draw in some points. But I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania in a very small rural town, a population of less than 600 people. Um, both of my parents were very, very sick. Neither one of them ever worked a day in, in my living life. Uh, both of them died very, very young. But growing up, um, you can imagine having two disabled parents. It, it made things tough, in and out of hospitals, in and out of hospice care. And growing up in rural America with not a lot of direction, 
you know, me and my brother, our best hope was get into a good steel mill or a coal mine and make a good run of it. And uh, that, that was kind of the, the, the thinking behind it. Um, college wasn't real big in my mind. Um, I, I thought maybe that could be an audacious goal to get to college at some point, but I really had no direction. And uh, not to because my parents didn't want to give it, but mainly because they couldn't. I mean, they were literally fighting for their lives. And it was during the first Gulf War, uh, watching those tanks roll across the desert, that um, you know, I'd love to tell you that uh, you know there was this m crazy reason that I joined the the army, but it was a host of reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, when I saw that happening, I felt a sense of obligation. Yep. And I really felt like, man, I got to do something. And I had this feeling like everybody's saying I should, but if nobody does, then I don't want to be that. So it was a combination of that and wanting to get out of my environment. It was a rough environment. I was hanging with the wrong people. Misery loves company. Yep. So there I was on my first flight ever to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for basic training. And uh, PV1, similar to you, Rich. Yeah. Yep. And there I was. And uh, from there... I, I got out of the military. I was going to use the GI Bill to go to college, and I got the call that I had gotten so many times, which uh, was from my dad. They're sending mom home in hospice. Sorry to hear that, dad. Let me know if you need me. Well, the story was a little different this time because not only were they sending mom home on hospice, uh, but he had to have his leg amputated or it was going to take his life due to infection. And uh, it was really, really bad. By this time, my mom already had a leg amputated and was dying from a disease called lupus and he couldn't help her. And so I did what all of us would have done, hopefully all of us, which was, hey, put, put college on the side and take care of mom and dad. And that's what I did. And uh, during that time though, I needed a job, I needed benefits, I needed coverage. And so I literally answered a newspaper article for a job that felt, I felt like I was qualified for, which was pick up dirty clothes and replace them with fresh clean clothes. And I started a company basically that laundered clothes. I spent 23 years with that company and went from <laughs> being uneducated and not knowing what the heck I was doing uh, to making some good decisions and getting around the right people uh, to be promoted uh, 10 times into a senior level of leadership at the company. And as you know, Rich, most recently, the fire's burning too strong. Uh, I've enjoyed the success. I'm not running from something I hated, yes. <laughs> uh, but now I'm out on my own. I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to helping others that uh, are trying to find their success as well. Okay. Well, wow. Uh, this is all new information. Like, even though I know Jeff, this is all new information to me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm already kind of mesmerized and I, I don't want to derail uh, kind of the subject, but I, I, I do have to obviously circle back sure. to the difficulty of having parents so so a lot of people suffer from having family or parents who are not present for the wrong reasons uh for for reasons that are within their control in this situation um it, it's completely with beyond their control they are suffering um can you tell me i know you have a huge heart but was there any point where you're like can i catch a break here i i want to live my life um, you know, this, this is not going the way I thought it was. There's other people who I see have wonderful relationships with their parents and their parents are at their t-ball games and all this other right. stuff. And here I am. What was that like? It, it was tough, Rich. And I, you know, unless you've walked a mile in somebody's shoes, um, hopefully, 
I mean, look, if you criticize me for this next statement, it is what it is. But the relief never really truly came until they both passed. Yep. I mean, it was um, it was brutal. I mean, imagine being, you know, 13 to 16 years old. And there were literally times that we me and my brother would go weeks where both of my parents would be in the hospital uh, under surgery, under, you know, rehabilitation, uh, drug abuse, name it. And um, you have a teen, two teenage boys uh, basically raising themselves. Yep. The candy jar was wide open. And so we were making bad decision after the next. They were making bad decisions. And it absolutely felt like that, which is why um, this subject matters. Yep. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, one of the, there were many times in my childhood that there were certain things that stood out, but the address 167 North Main Street, Washington, Pennsylvania means a lot to me. It's our local welfare office. And I was in that welfare office once with my dad. I was probably in maybe third grade. And he was going back to petition more benefits one more time. Uh, specifically, it was food stamps. He was on medical disability and uh, he was going to petition. We need different disability. We got to get it. Long story short, they told him he didn't qualify because of uh, the amount of money that was coming in, which at the time I did some research was just over $12,000 in household income a year. Wow. And so they denied it. My dad flipped out in, in this place. The police show up, the whole thing. And I remember in that moment thinking, this is, this is nuts. Yes. But as I would grow older, I would look back on that and I would say to myself, there's no way I'm going to let this happen. When I'm old enough, this is going to change. And that's where the proper state of readiness came into play. Because what I've learned in life, Rich, is it's not if opportunities present themselves, it's when. We live in the greatest, uh, in the greatest day in, in, in the greatest country on the planet. Opportunities are going to present themselves. The only question that we ever have to ask is, are we prepared to seize the opportunity? So I feel like there's three critical things that oh, we have to do. I'm to ready, capitalize. I'm ready. Oh yeah, I'm ready, please. Well, first let's, let's circle back. So um, are, when these opportunities present themselves, what kind of opportunities are you talking about? Personal opportunities, professional opportunities, uh, opportunities to be part of a team, or do you think it's uh, essentially all encompassing? I think it is all encompassing, but I will tell you, there was a moment in time for me that uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I thought what I was doing was I was uh, answering a newspaper article to get a go-between job. 23 years later, right? It was <laughs> not a go-between job. It was a great company and uh, with a lot of great culture and great leaders and great training and you know, I was there for about a year and a half and I realized this place is different. I like it here. It was very militant. I kind of, I kind of fit in there. Yep. And so it was really a really good transition from service to me for those reasons. Yep. Um, but I, you know, I'm a, I'm a blue collar worker. I'm, I'm running route, but you know, I would always see these fancy guys running around with their nice clothes and their nice ties and their nice cars and they talked fancy and they had the nice shoes. And I'm like, you know, I want to be one of them cool guys. And uh, they make more money. And, you know, I kind of have a gift for gab, you know, which is what I thought sales was. And <laughs> yeah. So I was really good at my day job. I was a great driver and I felt like, well, this is the next logical thing. So a position opened up, I applied for it. They were gracious enough to give me the interview and Rich, this is going to blow your mind. 
the first question this this uh, leader asked me in the interview was articulate to me the proper steps of a sales process and in my mind I'm thinking this guy has the audacity to ask me about this a sales process does he not know how cool I am oh, and wow. does he not know how great I am yeah. meanwhile looking back on it like if you're gonna go into sales you better know that yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, he didn't just say let me think about it he said no chance you're not even close and I had been telling my wife for weeks, I'm getting this job. Life's about to get really good. I had to walk the green mile the whole way home and tell her. And in that moment, Rich, here's what happened to me. I realized, and this was a leadership moment. Yeah. I didn't just let myself down. It wasn't just about me. I had a wife and a son on the way. I let the whole tribe down. I let everybody down. Why? Because I had this dream and I thought that what, what I was doing was good enough to get me to where I wanted to go. But I realized very quickly, we've heard it said, and it's kind of cliche, but what got you here won't get you there. And here was this million dollar opportunity in my mind, this breakthrough opportunity, this guy from you know humble beginnings gonna make it in white collar America. And, and here's how pathetic I was, Rich. I didn't even own a tie and I didn't know how to tie one. Like if you wanna be in white collar America, like, yeah. You know, you can't just say it. You got to be about it. And I wasn't. And I wasn't ready. But I swore from that day on, I'm going to be ready. Because it's not if the opportunities come, it's only when. And I sought the right mentors. I became an avid reader. And I've determined after 23 years of success, I know what those three things are that people have to be ready for when the opportunity hits because it's coming. Okay, I want to get into those. I just have one follow-on question, uh, and that is, can you tell me why feeling ready is not the same as being ready? That's great. Yes. Yes, I can. You know, feeling ready is a false sense of security. Now, I will say that perfection can kill your state of readiness. Mm -hmm. You know, always getting ready to get ready. Yep. Um, feeling ready can give us a false sense of security. And uh, sometimes it's the loudest person in the room or they're really good at what they're doing now. You know, what you're doing now may not translate into what you're doing. We see that when individual contributors try to go into leadership sometimes. Oh, oh yes. I mean, you were really good at sales or making the widget on the floor, but I put you into leadership and you're a disaster. Yep. You know, we've seen this in sports. Great oh. Hall of Famers try to coach, forget it, they're yep. done. <laughs> you know, we get average, like in my city, it's Mike Tomlin. He was no superstar Hall of Famer, but not a bad coach. I mean, I guess you could argue that. But <laughs> nonetheless, I think there is a difference between feeling ready and being ready. Being ready is a sense of confidence that airs on arrogance but stops. Mm -hmm. I like to call it swagger. It's yep. the line where confidence and arrogance meet. And it's not, it's not that you are arrogant, but you're so confident um, and you're prepared. And I would equate it to, I always say people are gonna live in one of four camps. The first camp is, I hope it doesn't come up. The second camp is, if it comes up, I'll wing it. The third camp is, if it comes up, I'm ready to talk about it, but we need to be in the fourth camp. If it doesn't come up, I'm bringing it up Ooh. because I'm prepared <laughs> and I got answers. That and that's is a good live. one. And I think that is being prepared versus feeling prepared. I love it, I love it. Okay, that was fantastic. So. Hit me with what you got. Tell me the three steps or the three ways that we can maintain a state of readiness. 
Well, I think there's probably a lot, but these are three that have impacted my life and my career, and they are being accountable, continuous improvement, and engaging your motivation. Okay. Those encompass a lot of things, um, but for the sake of time, here's how I would put them. Being accountable, uh, I was not accountable that day in that interview. I wanted to be in sales. I wanted the benefits of sales. I wanted the commissions, the car, the fancy clothes. I wanted all of those things, but I truly wasn't being accountable. And um, especially in leadership, we have to understand it's no longer about us. It's about the team. And when we don't have a proper state of readiness, what happens is not only are we affecting our own success, but we're literally affecting lives. And so we have to be accountable. That's leadership is a high calling and we have to be accountable to that. And I think preparation is about being proactive to deliver on something that you're accountable to. Yep. That preparation has to happen. There has to be accountability. We have to be prepared at all times for the unexpected. Unexpected happens in business, in personal life, in everything that we do. So we have to understand that accountability is first and foremost. We can't say we want it. We got to be prepared for it to come. And we got to be prepared for anything. When you say accountable, being accountable, especially as a leader, and you and I both know this from military experience, and a lot of the audience knows this, accountability on the outside resembles, is, is a little bit different. I want to touch on something you said, which is extremely important. We always say, no one's dying out here. You know, like, you know, we're not, we're not flying or we're not on the ground or whatever. But you said something so incredibly important. We are still affecting lives. And this mattered to me at my former company. I'm like, these people who are hourly associates will go home and talk about me at the dinner table. Not out of a place of narcissism. I either ruined their day, made their day, or helped them learn something. So can you talk a little bit about accountability on the outside versus the kind of accountability we were used to when we served? Absolutely. I mean, I think it is different. Um, you know, on the outside, you have to almost seek accountability. You know, when you're in the military, it's coming whether you want it or not. Like, you're going to get a whole lot of it. And uh, you got to get good people around you and you want feedback. You know, I remember even uh, in basic training, it was a whole different world because everybody was looking out for each other just simply because they didn't want discipline like shine your boots get your buttons all this so there was some of that you didn't have to look far for accountability in the military everything was sop when you transition into the civilian world i mean look there are some cultures and companies out there that are similar but for the most part i will tell you that um you need to seek accountability and not everybody likes that because accountability does come with pain yep. and it does come with criticism. And here's a, here's a tip. Don't call mom and dad for advice or accountability because they think you're great. You need people around you that are going to give it to you straight because they yes. care. Yes. And uh, they're going to tell you like, hey, look, you know, hey, uh, Jeff, if you want to get into sales, why don't you at least buy a tie? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, Rich, I literally had a friend of mine tie it like a noose yep. so that all I had to do, and I was praying the whole time. I hope this doesn't come undone. Oh, I wasn't wow. serious. Yeah. I needed somebody to say, listen, dude, you, you, you're going after this sales job. You don't even know the first step of a sales process, let alone the five after the first one. Yep. Like read a book already. 
I didn't even read a book till I was 22. Yep. So I think you have to seek it on the outside yeah. where it's, it's kind of, it's kind of force fed to you in the military. It's, you got to go get it. It's so true. And that requires getting out of your comfort zone uh, and coming from where we came from. I could see why through this conversation, why sometimes we don't seek it because we're like, we expect a lot of ourselves as it is. So it's like, you know, it, it's almost seeking accountability is almost like admitting fault, you know, almost, but uh, okay. I love it though. So let's go to number two then. Number two is continuous improvement. I, I think this, this is big. And this is something that hit me hard because again, I came from a household income of $12,000. Mm -hmm. We never owned a new car. I never got the, the nice shoes and, and whatnot. And so I got to a place in my career that, I mean, I was balling rich. I mean, my first W-2 was 21 grand and <laughs> with benefits, by the way. I mean, I have reached the mountaintop. Yes. You know, but what I realized back then was I wasn't dreaming big enough. You know, we, we, can't, we can't look. I call it the cream of the crap syndrome, which means I'm better than I used to be and I'm better than everybody around me. That doesn't make you great. That makes you better than crap, maybe. Yes. Get around the right people. Look for continuous improvement. You know, up to that point, when I had this moment, I didn't read a book, you know, I, and I remember the first book I read was Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. It changed my life. I'm like, why, why have I not done this before? I started reading Brian Tracy books to actually learn about the job I wanted of being a sales professional. Wow. Like the gift of gab is not a strategy to be a sales professional. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, we have to understand that improvement and being great at what you do it requires some sacrifice and there will be some pain in that. But I can tell you firsthand and many of your listeners can attest, there's also pain in losing. Oh yeah. And so if there's going to be pain, we might as well win. I remember one time I, I went, I became a boxer just because I wanted to punch people legally. I was just <laughs> a deranged kid. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time, this is a great illustration of, of this continuous improvement point these big medicine balls that they, they would have at the gym. My first time, my trainer, his name was Benny. He said, Jeff, I want you and whatever the guy's name to go over there. And I want that guy to throw this ball on your stomach 20 times. And I want you to count out loud. And so that I can hear that it's being done. Oh. No problem. I, you know, I'm, you know, Hey, I got this. No problem. So I'm over there. This guy's dropping this ball on. I'm counting 18, 19, 20 and I get up and Benny my trainer comes over and he said why did you stop and I said well you told me to count out loud 20 times he said oh my mistake you must have misunderstood I didn't even want you to start counting until you started feeling pain because <laughs> you're gonna have to understand you're gonna get in the ring the first time you're gonna catch about 80 punches to the gut in that fight so you can either pay now with that ball or you're gonna pay in the ring but either way you're gonna pay that's and I took that into my life to say, if I want this, if I want, if I want everything that the world has to offer, I better be prepared to drop that medicine ball a few more times and endure a little pain. Because if not, you're not going to get there. You can't wish success. One, I, yes. And one of uh, my favorite authors, oh, I'm not really a reader, but there's, there's one guy who I love to read. Uh, his name is Mark Manson. And he, I wrote it in a, in, on LinkedIn the other day, he wrote, doing what you love does not always mean love, loving what you're doing. 
Uh, and, and it's like Sotra, and he has this amazing analogy. He goes, imagine if someone uh, had your family hostage and said, you have to go run a marathon in under four hours. He goes, you know, like, just think of how awful that experience would be. He goes, now think if you chose to run a marathon and you trained religiously, he goes, the physical pain, everything would be the same, but the mental would be mm. completely different. And I was like, it was just like profound, but it's exactly right. Um, so I want to hit on one thing on continuous improvement before we shift. And that is this. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. You know, we're aligned there. When can you overcompensate in terms of continuous improvement? with a checklist of to do or things to learn or books to read that is far beyond uh, rational. I suffer from that, Rich. I do. I mean, we've known each other a little while and you're already picking up on my personality traits. I'm overorganized. I'm an analytical. I'm a driver on the spectrum. Like I got all the problems that, you know, but they've, they've served me well, but I have to harness them. I do feel um, that, and I, I am this, I am a perfectionist. And th there's people listening that have that as well. Perfection can cripple your state of readiness. At some point, you have to stop preparing and start acting. You and I had this conversation not that long ago about all the travel you were doing and all the seminars and all the conferences you were going to, right? And you were like, at some point, I'm not going to another one. I'm going right. to start executing on That's what right. I know. That's right. And I think at some point, you know, it, it would be no different than, you know, all these NFL teams that go through uh, training. Can you imagine at the end of that rigorous training before season starts, they're like, you know what, we decided we're not going to play. Are you kidding me? Like, this was the whole point. And I think some people, they just get so involved in training and they forget that there's a game that has to be played. And you got to be ready to play the game. I think the thing that holds people back, perfection is one of them for sure but fear of failing is another one. If I just keep practicing, look, if I don't play the game, I don't lose. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best way never to lose is don't play. And I think those are the two things that hold us back. But I, and I think that's what causes us to over-prepare. I love it. Uh, I, I, someone put a, a, a quote or a meme on Instagram recently, I forget. I think it was Billy Jean is marketing, um, who uh, I've met, a great guy. And he's, he said, uh, uh, don't be a perfectionist. They're all broke. You know? and, and <laughs> so I was, true. And I was like, wow. And I, and I, I loved that. But uh, okay, great. So, so we have uh, continuous improvement. And before that, we had accountability. Uh, so take us home and, and tell us how to stay ready. I think the last piece is you have to engage your motivation. Um, it's big. You know, Simon Simic says, you'll work for your what, but you'll die for your why. I think it's absolutely true. You know, I think the, the adversity that I faced is one of the biggest reasons that I've won. And I'm not saying that you have to have a bad childhood to win. I'm not saying that at all. But yeah. what I am absolutely saying is that you better engage your motivation. And it's most likely not the next Gucci belt. Um, those, are the, those are the what's. I'm talking about the why's. I'm talking about the things that are bigger than you. Because we know this, and I'm not, I'm not like claiming this over anybody's life, but in my experience, there's going to be some tough days. There's going to be some punches in the mouth. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be some people that let you down. You're going to have a boss you don't like. All, all of these things are, are probably going to happen. At some point, when these things happen, you're going to have to engage your motivation. 
And it can't be the next car or the next pair of shoes or even the next house, as great as those things are. It's got to be tied to something really deep inside of who you are that truly matters. You know, for me, it was breaking out of an environment. I knew someday I was going to have children. I knew that I was taking personal responsibility to change generations that come after me. And I knew somebody had to pay a, a big price to get that done. And I was willing to pay that price. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, there's a lot of things that I want to get accomplished because now I'm in a pay it forward situation. Yeah. And I know every time that I don't feel like it, you know, uh, you know, I want to cut out for happy hour with the guys. I want to sleep in because I watched the game late. I think you have to at all times. You have to think about what you want now versus what you want most. And engaging your motivation does that because what you want now is comfort and to not be in pain or to not listen to your boss or whatever it might be. But when you engage what you want most, it truly changes your commitment level and uh, what you're willing to do. Gary V just did a post on eating crap. And I'm like, wow, like I, that should be the name of my first book. <laughs> I ate so much. Yes. It, it's like spoonfuls. Yes. But it wasn't that I enjoyed it. But I just kept engaging my motivation. I kept thinking about all those days, weeks, months, you know, in hospital rooms. I thought about being there when my mom passed. I thought about my dad's leg amputation. I thought about how that affected me and my brother. And I said, this is, it's done. I'm not going to allow this to happen anymore. So when I didn't feel like it, I started thinking about, but if I want it to be different, I got to do something different. You know, the old saying of, if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. Mm -hmm. That's, that's engaging your motivation. Yeah. You can't say that you want all this stuff and then not, not pay up. Yep. There's going to be a price to pay. Yes. When you can engage motivation, it's usually attached to people or a bigger cause, something bigger than you. Yep. Uh, soldiers uh, are, they do that a lot. Yep. It, it's not about us anymore. You tell that story great, Rich. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key, a, a key thing. Number three would be you got to engage your motivation and it'll get you through the toughest times. Uh, I, I love it. And, and this, this is, uh, we're going to end with, with this follow-up, which is, you know, you know, I, I really, really try and be there as do you for transitioning service members, yes. um, aspiring veteran entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs. I mean, you don't have to have an affiliation with the military. This, this knowledge is good for everybody. Right. But what you're talking about in terms of motivation, this could, Jeff, this, this could be the point that is the most tumultuous and disorienting during the transition where you know what your motivation is when you're in, right? You know what it is. It's him and her. And, and everyone else and, yeah. you know, volunteering to protect and serve and all these good things. Uh, when, and, and, you know, you get out and we already talked about it. Accountability, you need to seek it. It's not coming to you anymore. Um, you know, process improvement. You knew how conceptually to get to E7, E8, you know, whatever, Chief Foreign Officer, you, you knew the steps. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to motivation on the outside, how do you unwrap that? We know, we know if you have a family, it's going to be your family, right? We sure. know it's going to be, I need to provide. Yeah. We know lifestyle is changing. I'm not getting BAH or whatever. How do you find that when you don't know? Yeah, that's, um, it's tough. It's absolutely tough. I remember my transition and, 
you know, thankfully I did find a, a good job with a great culture and all that. Not everybody's that lucky, but even with, with as smooth as that transition was, it was still challenging mm -hmm. and not everybody has that. You know, I think it's critical to find community. Mm. I mean, it, absolutely critical. And you, I mean, look, when I transitioned, we all went a hundred ways and, <laughs> and most of us do, right? I think it's so important to stay connected with the tribe. It's never going to be the same. It's just not. Yes. You, one, you have to find a new tribe. And two, I think you do have to stay connected. Now, you don't, I mean, misery loves company. So be careful of who you're connecting yourself with. Uh, because at the end of the day, you have to take responsibility of that transition. You have to. And it's not an easy one. But I think getting the right people around you is absolutely critical. You know, when you engage your motivation as, as a veteran, um, it's a lot different than when you are active. It, right. it absolutely is. And it, we just have to know, I think, going into it, that it is different. Um, but I think we can still find things and ways to engage our motivation. One of the things that I did, and this might not be for everybody, is I founded a nonprofit yep. uh, specifically to help homeless veterans. I mean, the statistics around that, and it was something I could do in my own city. I mean, I started a cornhole tournament, really. That's all it was. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be this little, small tournament. This thing, you know, we've put so, we've built homes uh, through this nonprofit. And it's a way for me to have service after service. I think it's a big thing for transitioning members. You've got to find that and you can still contribute above and beyond your day job. And I founded something as simple as a cornhole tournament that's blown up into this big thing. And, you know, we've raised well over, you know, 150,000. We built a couple of homes and, you know, we're helping. I go down, I teach about resumes and how to use LinkedIn and job placement and I get gratification out of doing that yes. and now I found my tribe too because I know what these these folks are going through yep. so I, that would be some of my recommendations Rich. I think uh, I think what you said actually hits a point an underlying point which is you might not be motivated by what you're doing but that doesn't mean you can't seek your motivation so like if you have and i i kind of posted about this today but if you have something that is your kind of revenue generator that that keeps you safe and your family fed and whatever that doesn't mean you can't do exactly what you did and serve out yeah. your service i feel like that is truly the biggest void for those of us who served faithfully happily and, and endearingly that it's like, okay but i want to give more yeah, you know, you know, you know a little bit of my background. Yeah, I do. Where I was, but it was just like, okay, I'm helping people get their stuff. Yeah. I don't know, like you know, at, at some point it wasn't it wasn't enough for me. I hear you. Uh, but but I think that's really critical. So you might not be where you want to be or doing what you want to do yet, but if not, that doesn't mean you can't tap into your motivation and again find your tribe in the community and maybe build some freaking homes for people. I mean, give me there a you break. go. Like that's ridiculous. I didn't know that either. So it's awesome. Can yeah. I add one point to that, Rich? May I? Of course. I, I think this is so important because, you know, I think about, you know, the company that I went to, nothing that we did was sexy. And, you know, I wasn't in Silicon Valley or whatever you would define as cool. Um, I was picking up dirty clothes. Yeah. And I, I would tell this to anybody that's maybe in a place that you don't like or you don't like what you're doing. Don't focus on what you're doing. Focus on who you are. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Yes. And, you know, no matter what that is, whether it's picking up dirty, nasty clothes or <laughs> digging a ditch, yeah. like be great at it. And don't don't let that thing define you. You define what you're doing. Don't focus on what you're doing. 
focus on who you are. I think it's so important. I love it. Uh, Jeff, so uh, you obviously have an amazing podcast. I know you're on social media. Where can people find you uh, to engage with some of your content uh, and, and just interact with you? Yeah, so social media, all platforms under the Champion Forum. Uh, my website is thechampionforum.com. Same with the podcast. Awesome. Uh, there you can find a little bit more about me, leadership, coaching, training, keynote speaking. Um, I want to give back. So if you're out there and um, there's an opportunity for us to connect, I'd love to learn more of what your listeners are doing and how I can impact them in any way. Uh, he completely means it. Uh, I know Jeff very well. And if you detected any bullshit out of what he just said, then turn this podcast off and don't come back. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, always a pleasure. And I look forward to telling you when it comes out. Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate you having me. I wish you all the best in 2020. Thank you. Let me...